All right, guys, welcome back to the Fitness in Philosophy podcast. My name is Robbie Gustin, and I am joined, as always, by OPEX Fitness founder, James Fitzgerald. Uh, James, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I meant to ask you pre-call, but uh, you said you grew up in Northern Labrador, correct? Yes. My question for you today is, what was that like? Yeah, it was, uh, in my experience, it was uh, wonderful. I have uh, a lot of great memories. And the, the ones that, you know, come to my brain right away that I love sharing with people is uh, the uniqueness of the geography in Northern Labrador. Uh, we're a very isolated community. Um, 3,000 people in my town that I grew up with. And we're, we're like a two-hour plane ride and 12 hours driving across the road to the nearest community. So just think about that for a second. Like it's a, we're way out in the middle of nowhere, you know? Um, and uh, even the road access to a lo- to a community that I think was like four or five hours away was like, you know, you had to do a four wheel drive pickup truck or Jeep in order to get there. Anyways, um, lots of mosquitoes <laughs> in the summer long summer days, really hot and extremely cold, ridiculously cold winters for about, uh, it was called two seasons in Labrador. There was no such thing as four seasons. There's even a hotel there called two season in, <laughs> um, to give you an idea. It was like winter went till like, you know, end of April, early into May. And then it just stopped and got super wet for two days. And then it was like, really hot for, for two and a half months. Um, just, just a great experience, Robbie. Uh, so, so many, so many, I'll stop talking. So many stories, really great experience. Um, but isolated, cold, um, but, uh, very positive. I had no idea where it was until I looked it up on Google maps. I didn't know it was on the East coast. <laughs> it's this move, right? It's like, uh, uh, uh. Yeah, <laughs> essentially, yeah. Like it's it's super far, uh, or decently far north. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm grateful you asked that question because it makes me think about, you know, I'm I'm almost well this January. I, what is this? this? Is January? So in in fifteen in sixteen days, I will uh, have. Uh, uh, you know, 47 trips around the sun. And uh, when I think back to those early years, man, I, you know, it's, it's funny, it's cliche, but I never would have said I'd be doing, I'd be here today and doing these things. So extremely grateful. How long were you uh, there? Well, I had, uh, I had planned on leaving home uh, for multiple different reasons, but I wanted to get out of there and uh, wanted to uh, leave home. And soccer was my opportunity for that. Um, I had full um, plans of doing a summer with the, the summer games team, which is the Canadian development program. And we get together and do all these games inter province does. And I wanted to go to Michigan for an NCAA uh, quote unquote, walk on capability scholarship. Uh, meaning like you show up to camp and we will make our decision then, but it looks like based upon your data and what you've done and the teams you played for, there should be no problem. That was, that was my intentions. And then in the summer um, with a lead up tournament to uh, 
the games, uh, I got injured and, uh, and so the story goes. <laughs> and that led you into kind of the current route that you've been on. You betcha. Yeah. That was the, that was the pinnacle transformation moment for, uh, a lot of things. We'll have to do an episode at some point. Yeah, for sure. I've, I've spoken about it yeah. at length in numerous different ways, but I, I always enjoy speaking about it, not, uh, for my own, for my own reasons, but it's a great review for me always. Cause it's slightly, it slightly changes, you know, as I get further and further away from it, right. For what I remember and what I, what I picked up from it. But yeah, that was a, that was a great moment, great moment in my life. Good change. And like you've said, you know, in different episodes and like we're talking about today, like what you value in life starts to come into perspective and change. And Yeah, yeah. Um, which some of the words that we'll use here today, but sometimes when there's voids or there's periods of uh, transformation and shifts um, or when we'll talk about intrinsic and extrinsic values, some things that we don't see that are available to us or they're, they're lost all of a sudden now they become valuable you know now they become valuable so um i lost my identity you know at 18 years of age i i really thought i was like the athlete the like popular kid and and that was like taken away um so what do i start to value after that you know anything that comes in front of me right that's going to help me build myself back up which was physical fitness hard work, um, you know, trying to figure myself out, ask these existential questions and that's what you get. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I have competing values as a talking topic today, but I didn't yeah. put down this, this could easily be one, the idea of changing values, the yeah. idea that values change throughout one's life and For what's, sure. what's the, uh, ideology of that and are some more important than others. And yeah, super yeah. interesting. Yeah. Well, Gosh, that's another thing to add to the list, but that's a good one. <laughs> but I do, I will talk a little bit about the the competing. And so maybe at that point in time, that'll just be my reminder to discuss, uh, yeah, what happens when you change or what leads to those changes or et cetera. Yeah. Awesome. You ready to talk about some values? Yeah, man. Uh, you want to help us out in uh, defining, creating some definitions and uh, start us off on that? Sure. So just to give people some context, um, James and I were just talking before the episode. Uh, this this almost certainly will be a multi-episode endeavor, uh, probably a couplet up front and then maybe some other stuff down the back line. But today we're going to start off talking about value uh, and we'll probably get to the notion of values. But uh, I always like to start off by talking about the, the dictionary definition of the term we're discussing Um just something for everyone to easily grasp onto, and then some philosophical considerations. So the dictionary definition of uh, value actually ranges across a lot of different things. It can be the value of a variable or monetary value, but the two things that are going to be most important to us today are the notions of relative worth or utility, which will eventually identify with extrinsic worth or extrinsic value. Um, it's to say that something to say something has value says is to say that it has worth or utility. It has some use or it has some, you know, to kind of get like, circular with it, value, some worth. Uh, you know, when we say someone had nothing of value to say, we're saying what they said had no worth or utility. Um, but then there's the other 
peace, something intrinsically valuable or desirable. And this is the, I'd say philosophically, probably most interesting one, the extent to which these things exist. And if they do, is, is, is there one, are there many? But the idea that you would pursue something for its own sake. And just to take the most famous example from Aristotle and others, um, happiness, right? It, it's a category error. And, and here we're talking happiness in the philosopher's eudaimonia sense, which means something like ultimate satisfaction or purpose fulfillment in life, not like, you know, money cars and, you know, uh, whatever. So that, 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 that's the type of happiness what we're talking about, not, not just pleasure satisfaction. So it would be a category error to say, what are you pursuing happiness for? You're not pursuing happiness for anything. It, it, it's its own intrinsically worthwhile end. And in fact, when we examine, you know, this is one of Aristotle's points and others, um, you know, when we talk about money, fame, or power, why people pursue those, and they say, well, I want to be the most powerful person, the most famous person, or the most wealthy person, then we do that philosophical, well, well why? Um, because money is just a means to an end. Fame is just a means to an end. Power is just a means to an end. So the very notion of extrinsic value in a lot of ways implicitly contains the notion that there's some point at which the chain ends, right? Like to say that you that to say that there are things like money, power, fame, what have you that exist and that they are only valuable insofar as they lead to other things implies that there is some other thing that is ultimately worth while. So um, so yeah, kind of jumped the gun there on the philosophical side of things with regard to the dictionary definition. Oh, it's good you explain that out because it made me recognize uh, indirectly how I came to that over time. I didn't know that I went through it that order, but it was by asking questions over and over and over and over. Whenever one would, someone would propose, let's just say it's not power, but let's just say it's X characteristic or something they wanted to go after or a long and healthy life, blah, 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 you know? then you just, you could keep going after the whys and whys and whys. And then there does come to a stop. And that's how I came back to say, well, it's important to ask all those questions to someone because otherwise you're not going to be able to get them to a realization of what truly is possibly an intrinsic value, right? Cause you didn't take them through what you just said, a step-by-step -step process of all these all these things to go wait now, right? Just to, you know, you know, to bring, bring it forefront to what you just said. If I'm wealthy, that's not really valuable to me, right? They like, bing, they, they start to see that it's not that. So no, I appreciate the, the starting point on that for the definition because it helped me see how I didn't have those technical things um, that you have knowledge of to see that's the step-by-step. -step. It just kind of went through it. And then I reverse engineered back to say, let's come back here and say, how about we use, which we'll talk about today. How about we use something like autonomy as a starting point for the value, right? And as we know, which it's not uncommon, we've talked about this frequently. <laughs> that's a really big stretch. <laughs> you know, it's like way, anyways. Um, so thank you for that. That was good. Um, relative worth and utility. Relative worth and utility. That's also, uh, I picked up on a very important word um, because I, we spoke about earlier in the pre-call here. Um, 
which if folks don't know, Robbie and I spend hours on pre-call just kind of setting this up to make sure it's all perfect. Um, you know, it's, you know, what we talked about is that 19 year old, right? I just, you know, current, current social political uh, things today, right? Just imagine you're a 19 year old, you know, and, and only listening to CNN two days ago. Okay. So, you know, do you see how a 19 year old and what they have to work with in their, their faculties, et cetera, how they're perceiving value from that. So it is relative is, is very, very important. Um, because you and I, you and I can't determine that for them, right? Um, you and I may see, as an example, uh, the value of that uh, lady's life that was lost, right? Um, and, and, and think about that, like, what's the value there? And others may see the value of democracy, you know, as being really important. You see, I'm just making my point of picking on relative, like that's really, really important, relative worth and utility. Because right. uh, to a seven-year-old, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things, or let's take my daughters, you know, um, how they're perceived by their friends is, is very, very high value. Very, very high value. And of course, that has evolutionary, makes sense evolutionary wise. And, and um, so. Yeah. yeah. And for, I mean, yeah, completely agreed. And, you know, for unfortunately, sadly, a lot of people, especially in the case we were just talking about, um, the relative value may be the number of views or the amount of talk that was generated as, yeah. as a result. Yeah. Um, and that's where something like philosophy needs to. I mean, there are other aspects to psychology and things like that that need to come in and say, well, this is where this value or this, this thing that you are prizing goes, goes awry, whether it's yeah. Instagram followers or TikTok followers or views or something like that. Um, well, it's a few Twitter. Other, what's that? <laughs> it's yeah. Twitter. Let's call, let's call it what it is. It wasn't those other two. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially in this case, easily Twitter. Yeah, by yeah. far. Not, not even a not even a question, but in the health and fitness realm, the, yeah, the instant influencer and the, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, so thinking of some examples that can help people get their heads around this in, in our space. Um, so obviously, you know, Instagram followers, that, that would be one that's of relative value. Um, in the business realm, uh, you know, anyone who's studied up on business, this is a famous one that people don't always get around to when they initially enter business. Uh, you know, the initial value, they start off with revenue. Let's get as much revenue as possible. <laughs> Top line of revenue, yep. even if you're hemorrhaging money or, um, you know, especially with, you know, Silicon Valley unicorns and things like that. And then you come to realize, ooh, turns out I could be making a, you know, million bucks a year, but if I'm losing 2 million, I'm, I'm not in a good place. So that would, that would be another one. Yep. Um, another one, uh, did you ever watch Breaking Bad? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So one of, one of the best all time, uh, spoiler alert, just skip the next five seconds. It doesn't really give away that much, but, um, you know, there's one point I think in the final season where Walt's in a garage full of money, and his wife basically asks him, like, we have more money than we could ever use in seven lifetimes, like, to what end? And it, it highlights the fact that money has no intrinsic value whatsoever. It's just paper that can then be used to bring about, you know, 
uh, further education or travel or that that type of idea. It, it only has relative worth or utility. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you didn't give way too much there. <laughs> but as I was saying it, I also thought about um, um, the people that uh, do do not have enough money for daily, you know, daily basic needs, you yeah. know. Um, and it also makes me think about uh, how, how crazy it is when you actually spend lots of time just like sitting and thinking about this piece of paper with text. <laughs> how, how does that have value? You know, like it's, it's and, now there, and now it's like zeros and ones in a, in a bank, like yeah. on a computer. That's what, you know, I was trying to tell my wife about this, right? I was like, you know, that money we have there in savings that's not like a, there's not like a James Leanne, like little storage unit with all the papers. Right. And she's like, what? I was like, that's just a, a, a punch on a keyboard. You know, cause we, we had this discussion around this classic thing that, you know, just can't, comes out of people's mouth. Uh, the fed is just printing money. <laughs> right. yeah, Especially sure. in times like this. Right. You know, and, and Leanne's like, how is that possible? Because um, she was thinking, you know, it's like coming off the assembly line, right? Of all the all the hundreds just being printed out. And it's like all to the to all people in, in the COVID situation. It's like, it's not like that. It's someone pushing a button. Bink and numbers just, it's just, anyways, it makes you really think about just concept of, you know, at what point did someone say, see this rock that looks somewhat golden in color that has value. <laughs> there's, there's a, see, when we compare this to this rabbit fur, <laughs> I mean, you know, so anyways, um, I love that. Love that conversation on uh, coming up with and determining the basic idea of that definition of value. No, I, I mean that this, this has to be an episode at some point, just cause it's, it's a huge thing within philosophy. I mean, even thinking back to what, just happened a couple of days ago. And for those listening, probably a, a few weeks, months hence, we're recording this a couple of days after the uh, riot at the Capitol, sadly. Um, but one of the most profound things that you have to think of when you, when you think of something like that is the idea, like democracy doesn't like metaphysically exist like atoms do like the rule of law doesn't metaphysically exist like the peaceful transfer of power doesn't metaphysically exist it's this thing it's this symbol the thing that humans you know especially in the united states with the peaceful transfer of power have created over time and it's only by repeated um uh, what would be the right term experimentation. Yeah. Repeated experimentation, but also recognition of the intrinsic value of this thing, repeated recognition of how important this thing is that it, it survives. It, it, it isn't, it isn't a given in any way, shape or yeah. form. It isn't, um, it isn't something we or anyone should, should take for granted. And humans, you know, going back to your point about like, how did this gold thing come to be a symbol of, of value? Humans can create all sorts of symbols and ideas that have no reference in the real world and yeah. come up with all sorts of crazy stuff, but it can also go in the flip direction and say, we um, are aligning ourselves with these norms, the rule of mm -hmm. law, the constitution, mm -hmm. the 
and transfer power that go beyond any one person. Yeah. That are symbols, that are ideas. And again, these things don't exist in some sort of metaphysical, like quarks and atoms and the laws of nature type way. They only exist insofar as humans have society, but they have tremendous value. So that, that, that itself is a super interesting conversation. Yeah, for sure. Uh, a right to assembly, um, right to um, bear arms, right to, um, you know, say what you want. Um, you know, those are very important that depending upon that I was telling you about from my experience down here in America and only from seeing what's part of the lexicon um, and also doing a, my, a minute amount of history on it. Um, it's, it's a wonderful structure that's set up with over time. That's why I called it experimentation. I probably should have used a better word, but through time tested opportunities to test this thing, we have come up with these values, right? That we seemingly think are very important to people. Um, and they've stood the test of time, you know? And unfortunately, you know, when they get tested like that to the really, you know, nth degree, um, there's turmoil and et cetera, um, as, as what happened. But um, that's, that's really it. Just as of interest, Robbie, that's kind of cool that, I guess you shouldn't say kind of cool, but it is very interesting and timely that we're discussing value, you know, because uh, that was really taken into consideration. Well, what is a value? Do you feel that the scientific process or the election system we have set up is valuable? You don't think it's valuable? Then you need to follow the rule of law based upon what you think is, is of value to that. Okay, you followed the rule of law and we came up with the decision that said, you know, none of your ideas around it made sense then go away. You have to stop now. Why? Because we've all agreed this is the rule of law. This is like how we do these things. Um, and I, I find that a very unfortunate thing that we had to actually question that over the past, you know, week, but it makes this conversation pertinent and timely. And it also makes it, makes people really ask the, the big question that we've asked, I think all this year, unfortunately, that was a bad ending to it. I guess you can include January, 2021 as a, into the year, but um, is what is valuable to you? What is valuable to you? Um, and how do you come up with those? And uh, God damn it, we've been, as in a human experience, we've been doing this for a long period of time. There's a lot of things that have already been present and we've already done that have dictated what is truly valuable. And I think it's, uh, it's just pretty cool that we're continuing to ask questions to, to, um, to get people to figure those out for themselves. And of course, blanket that with fitness, which I, we, well, I, we find pretty important, you know, but in the, in the, you know, you know, how, how important was the value of fitness to what happened a couple of days ago? You can see, it's kind of like, well, you know, it's, uh, anyways, I don't want to move it over to there, but, uh, yeah. Value. No, I mean, um, what is valuable yeah. to us is very important today. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's just, it's a really profound thing when you, dig down deep it's like the allegiance well the allegiance uh, among those who were riding was very much to a person but the allegiance to setting things right was this notion of um a value or an idea that again isn't a person isn't metaphysically like a thing and it it it, it, it speaks to the the power of ideas it speaks to the power of values that can be, you know, used for profound bad, but can also be used for profound good. And I think, I think your 
uh, language of experimentation is useful because it, it was only through, you know, religious wars and, you know, that Europe experienced. I mean, all, all these different things of the human experience that we came to be like, hey, you know what? Different people have different conceptions of the good. We're all going to have to live together. How are we going to do this? You know what I mean? Like, so it was through that kind of battle tested, like experience that we came up with, you know what? We should have these laws. And it's not just might makes right. And it's not, you just get to punch someone in the face and, you know, take over. So exactly. And I think that, um, since 2000, since the early 2000s, I think that's this, you know, we're, we're very fortunate, but it, to be a part of this whole existence at this period of time, because in 1965 to 70, TV was that method of interference of like, what are, what's an ideology? What's a story? What do you need to listen to? What is valuable to you? And then there was paper and journalism. And we'll talk about that opinions versus, you know, what would be facts in it. And we had those, but today there's like 60 different sources that you alone have to figure out for yourself as to what is deemed valuable. Because unfortunately, the rules that of law and the, the thing that we all agree upon, you know, some people think that 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 is up for argument. It's up for argument on our day to day practices. But why did they think that way? Why do they think that way? Because they're being told this particular story that the whole system wants them to feed into, you know, um, it's, we're at an interesting time, interesting time for that, you know? Yeah. I, I, I hope it swings back, but yeah, essentially over the past 30 to 40 years, the, you know, to take the newspaper analogy where you had, you know, news and then op-ed and editorials and things like that, this firm and clear distinction between what had happened. Yeah. What were the thoughts about what had happened? Yes. Um, you know, with, free press with cable news and various other things, uh, that distinction came to be more and more uh, blurred. And, um, you know, to the point now where it's everyone's kind of in their own epistemic bubble. So hopefully, uh, <laughs> reading an article earlier this morning, I, yeah, I've been for better or worse, glued to the news the past couple of days. Um, you know, this, this guy was basically saying, the interesting question here is, is what just happened, the epilogue or the prologue? You know, was, was, this, was this the uh, epilogue of, you know, things descending or was this the uh, prologue? So I, I, hope it, I hope it's the prologue to... Uh, value determination. That's what I hope it is. Yeah, value determination and in a... In a, a going back to a stronger distinction between facts and values, which we'll, which we'll talk about. And just, yeah. just being able to, the notion of being able to entertain an idea without agreeing with it or disagreeing with it, yeah. uh, very foreign to a lot of people today. So. Yeah. Yeah. I would hope so. I would hope so. I'm a little bit more pessimistic on it, but I would hope so. Uh, the reason why is just, uh, uh, just, you know, to, be a politician today in the political landscape and the challenges they have to go through to get into position to actually create a whole bunch of people around them who want to think a certain way. It's, it's a very tough, it's a very tough thing to do because the intentions of a lot of them inside that position, um, I don't think come from great intentions of like a whole democratic kind of idea. So hopefully this, this value determination comes up when people lose their lives and they see that democracy gets seriously threatened 
um, of these institutions of liberty that we've kind of created for that. Um, and then when they're like, wow, you know, let's really back up and go, how do we get to this point? How did we allow that to occur? How do we create some form of opportunity for conversation around regulation of those thoughts and who can say what? And because that, that's where you're going to have to get into. You're going to have to get into that uncomfortable area of like this balance between freedom of speech and what is speech because speech and how it's like what's called a platform versus what is journalism versus, you know, Facebook being regarded as it's like, well, hey, listen, we're just a place for people to hang out. But really, it's a medium for propaganda of really bad ideas um, that, you know, they work, can work a whole system around. So, sorry, that's you're seeing my own personal biases of my pessimism towards that change happening. I don't know. I don't know how that how that occurs. Um, yeah, unless you go back to paper, uh, paper and, uh, and no TV. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's sad that it took what it took to get a large swath of the country to, you know, to have our have you no shame moment, because it seems like there have been quite a few of those over the past four years. But mm -hmm. uh, again, I, I feel as though the, the lone sliver of optimism I have is, again, this this notion of like, what what made it so that people decided to go with the rule of law? Do you know what I mean? Like you very easily could have gone the other direction. They could have been like, nope, we're going to let this slow slide into, you know, demagoguery and autocracy and things like that. So um, ideals have been beaten and battered in a lot of different ways, but uh, you know, they, they've made, made, made a comeback. Yeah. Maybe not a permanent one, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Anyway. <laughs> We were talking about whether we were going to talk about this on this episode. Well, yeah, well, I mean, uh, you got relevant. to, you got to, we all are asking over this past year, what is the valuable, but what is value? And when something hits you hard, um, you know, it's, it's, it's our responsibility, Robbie, to just discuss it so that people can see that the, the questioning of value is inside of all that. You know, yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's not just ivory tower stuff. I mean, you know, the philosophical discussions are important and interesting, but they ultimately do bear on life. Yeah. And how one leads life. So, yeah. Yep. Um, okay. So let's talk about a few philosophical considerations before we get to the, um, the fitness and value conversation. So the first one is this notion of value theory. Um, I like the way it was broken down in the Stanford encyclopedia article. I've mentioned this on previous episodes, but for those who may be first time listeners, Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, great free resource online. Uh, just search value theory and you'll get a very good article on it and lots of other things. So um, there's a broad sense of value theory and a narrow sense of value theory. So the broad sense of value theory refers to all branches of moral, social and political philosophy and aesthetics. Uh, so in moral philosophy, we talk about things being good or bad or right or wrong, certain actions being uh, right or wrong on an individual level. Um, there are other value terms in social and political philosophy, but two that many people will be familiar with is the idea of something being just or unjust. That's not the same as it being right or wrong or good or bad or beautiful or ugly. That's its own. It's related, but it's, it's different. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, aesthetics, um, you know, in the, in the fitness realm, we're used to this term being used for like uh, six pack abs and, you know, in a great in-body scan. 
but in philosophy, and, and the two are related, uh, but in philosophy, this refers to uh, philosophical considerations around art and music and beauty, um, things like that. So in aesthetics, of course, we make value judgments like something is beautiful or ugly, which again is not coextensive with it being right or wrong or just or unjust. So again, the notion is we are throwing or imposing values upon things in the world. Uh, and then the more narrow sense of value theory is what's sometimes referred to as axiology, where the central question is what things are good and how good are they? You know, the manila envelope that's right next to me right now, like, does that even admit of being good? Probably not. I mean, you know, it, we could say it's good relative to the purpose of being sent through UPS or something like that, but uh, not the, the whole reason we have value theory in the first place is not everything admits of being good or bad, right or wrong, just or unjust, beautiful or ugly. So it's an interesting philosophical question in and of itself, which things do we even attach values to or not? Um, and then one of the most important questions from axiology that will be particularly relevant, I think today for our fitness discussion, are objects of value subjective psychological states or objective states of the world? So in other words, um, when we are seeking money or fame or power or Instagram followers or an 800 pound deadlift or whatever it is, does the value come from the thing that we are seeking out in the world or is it the pleasure or whatever mental state that is thereby derived as a result? And whatever answer you give to that question is going to have profound philosophical implications upon how we think about what's worth pursuing and what's not. Yeah, and, and again, it's relative to the person we're discussing too. Um, I think taking into consideration where they are in life. Um, and uh, I, I will uh, add to this, Robbie, on what I said I wanted to discuss of how we changed our language from using values in fitness coaching. I think it would fall under this uh, uh, axiology or a narrow sense component of it, of saying to a particular person, how are we going to determine what you find valuable for you? Um, and so we, we had a uh, framework uh, that we used from John Demartini's process called value determination process. And you can read a book uh, uh, that he had written on this particular process, which it goes into much more uh, detail in terms of, you know, uh, moving against what I'll say with some of my issues. So it's far more extensive. It's called the, it's called values factor. I think that's what the book is called. And we changed up the, the language from values to people into priorities. Um, and maybe I think down the line when we talk about facts and values, because that's where some things will come in too in terms of religious connotation with value. So we'll go there. But we changed that up because people immediately thought about, you know, what that embedded value was as a language in society from where they currently were. And some of the struggles that I had when we put it into whether you call it, you know, what are your values? What do you find valuable? And how can I set fitness up to help support your values? 
Um, we, I would fall into some problems where the, the, the person who is mentioning through question and answers how they come up with their values in this determination process doesn't have really high understanding, nor do they have a life experience, nor do they have a high awareness, nor do they possibly have the cognitive repertoire, repertoire as necessary to what I'm asking about them trying to come up with this question of like, what do you feel is, is your most important things for you that you find a value um, or that are your values. And, um, you know, I, and this is the question that I have for you. And maybe this is where we, we talk about uh, Aristotle's components of that or how he lends what are fleeting and what lasts forever and what are, you know, how can we determine good values is um, that uh, they would think that, you know, popularity was uh, their, you know, so you asked the question, what, what things are good and how good are they? They really did believe that their unending improvement in their followers on Instagram was their highest value. That that's that's like what they that's their that's their every day. Like that's what they wake. So if you ask all the questions that we have in values determination process, right? Inside of all those, what 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 fills up your personal space? You know, what do you have next to you, right? In your personal space, it's the phone, right? It's Instagram. Uh, what do you think? What do you have in your office? My phone, my computer, my, my laptop. Oh, interesting. So everything they see in their reality is Instagram followers. Right? So, and I'm not here, neither are you, I would assume. I don't put words in your mouth. We're not here to determine if that's a value of whatsoever. But in the context of this, that's, that's the real problem that I have. And maybe you can help me with that. Um, is that really there's not a whole lot of people out there who have, I believe, the, the ability to, to even start the question process to determine what is valuable to them, what is, what is good, and, uh, and how good is that you know, uh, for you. And, uh, and the reason why this is a problem before you uh, uh, come in is that in coaching, man, if you don't at some point in time in the relationship with clients get to that understanding, uh, really, like I like to say, you're just dancing. You're just dancing around this topic and you think you're on this path and you may end up on a path that moves all their behaviors and story towards them being more popular just because that's what they answered as, their be as being their highest value. So that, and, and if you're not seeing that, that's getting a whole ton of people in a in a ton of trouble today um, because it's arguably uh, it's not really valuable. Um, it's a means to something which we want to, and th th that's where we want to open up the conversation further down the road on autonomy and what is valuable and et cetera. But could you interject there on the, um, on how to help coaches at that point? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I have uh, a couple of thoughts. One thought is um, something I've, personally struggled with, and I'm sure you have and other coaches, and certainly related to what we're discussing today, which is the question, what is the role of the coach? Is the coach similar to what we were talking about with Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, these neutral platforms that unless there's, you know, an incitement to violence, like someone comes into you and is like, oh, hey, I'm training to beat up people. Okay. <laughs> or like, you know, illicitly, 
then yep. you would say like, Hey, no, I can't take you on. But otherwise, if they're like, Hey, I want more Instagram followers. You're like, Oh, well hire me. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. is the coach just a neutral platform where unless there's some really bad thing going on, you just take them on and their values are their values. That's one end of the spectrum. And then the other end, which would be the polar opposite, which would be like, no, these are the values that are worth pursuing. And the shit you're talking about is stupid. Um, yep. Like popularity yeah. and followers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as with most things, I think the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. I have personally had it, and I'm, I'm sure you've probably had it as well, where, um, you know, someone will say, well, you know, having pizza with my friends on a Thursday is, you know, a really valuable thing to me that cool. Awesome. We, you know, there's more to life than health, more to health than food, but also like, you know, question, 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 like, do you need the food to interact with them? Like, is that, is that integral to the social interaction? Like, um, do you, do you need to drink six beers to like, you know, have a conversation Mm -hmm. with them, you know, things like that. So, um, so that, that, that was one thought. And then, and then the second thought I had related to your question about, you know, Aristotle and how would Aristotle or other philosophers react to someone saying that they're, Instagram followers were their highest value, probably a slap across the face in Aristotle's case, but no, you I mean, uh, you know, I mean the, the, the ultimate philosophical question. Okay. Well, why let's do a little investigation. Well, uh, because you know, they could say multiple things because my, my one-off product sells more. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Well then why is that important? Mm-hmm. Well, because it gets me more money. Well, why is that important? Well, uh, is it sending money back to your family? Is it buying more cars? Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. what is the value there? I mean, another way they could go is, uh, I, I feel profoundly alone and Instagram followers, you know, helps me fill that void. And you might say, well, are you, are you really together with anyone? You, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think these little, I think the best way that we've probably discussed in, in the past is these little, as neutral as possible interjections as to, why or what what's the reason and then getting them to recognize like oh shit i either a don't need to do that to achieve the thing i'm looking to achieve or this is a false idol um but but i but i think you're right i mean the same way aristotle and others have talked about with moral training when someone's 17 you know their ability to comprehend what having kids will be like or serving in the army is like is uh, very different from from forty. So a lot of it comes down to training and questioning and interacting um, with the world. So yeah, are- which is, like I think uh, I like the Aristotle idea of slapping them in the face. That would be um, I I indirectly do that a lot. <laughs> I just do it through words and thought, um, but it's the same way. But I think I I jumped to there, Robbie, because of you know, I don't think that people actually have on a generalized consensus, the capability when they leave my presence to be able to fend for themselves for this whole process they need to go through to get to that understanding of why they do what they do. I just don't think they, I think like, as I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting them on the why train, right? It's like, oh, interesting, interesting. And then they leave, it's like, you know, four days later, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's the same, the same energy. I was like, what just happened? Did we, you know, we talked about, right? Remember why the followers then end up this and then this and then this, and we got here and we were onto something. And now I see you like really upset that you didn't do 35 pounds per hand on your Instagram story today, you know, like really upset. 
right? My program is useless. I'm never getting stronger. It's like, what? What? you know, so, and I think that happens like way too often. And we just, we don't have the energy. We don't have the energy or the resources or the system set up to, you know, to have things outside of our control to like, you know, to hit them with that. Don't forget your coach asked why, like on the, on the street corner, <laughs> down the street, right? There's the, the ombudsman <laughs> just walking around like, hey, don't forget, ask your why, you know? Um, and all these reminders, <laughs> like a Gattaca society, you know, just comes across the board. Did you drink your water today? <laughs> what? My coach said that too. Um, so I just don't, I don't think we have that in place. So that's why I like the, slap in the face idea because it is uh it is to use the word slap in the face and violence it's strikingly hard right like it it, it is that it's like you know and it, it kind of rewires and kind of it shakes stuff up you know and there, there's the odd case where you know the step-by-step -step approach is great and three days later they're like you know what i really thought about what you asked and that was a great question and my I could tell I'm growing my mind. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that, by the way, that never happens. It's like one out of 10, right? You're, when that happens, then you're like, what? Are you crazy? You're fired <laughs> as a client. Um, but that's why we, uh, you know, we, we come up with these, um, which I'll repeat down the road here, but, you know, come, trying to come up with what we, the coach and the client agree is valuable not valuable to you, but what we both agree is valuable in this process, right? What, what is valuable in this process? And, and like I say, try to inch towards this idea of like, is consistency valuable to you? Like, you know, like, okay, okay, is it? What do we mean by that? So in five years, I'll see you just like coming through the turnstile, right? Right. Now, now they're, they're thinking, hmm, yeah, so I guess, guess consistency would be valuable, you know, and you stretch that out. <laughs> and then you talk about, to your point on food, what I, which is my own personal way of going about it, but for food, it's mental acuity, you know, so I say, well, out of the awaking, awaken hours during the week, how many of those hours do you want to feel like a piece of shit and pull your belt open and, and not be able to think and not be able to run around? You know, and, and then it's like, that's your decision. So if you want to do that on Thursday night and Saturday morning and Sunday afternoon and Tuesday at lunch, and then that's, let's put it together, that's 18 hours where you're like, oh, I'm making bad decisions. I can't do work. I can't exercise. Can't be with my loved one. Can't be intimate. That's, that's what you choose, right? So your time could be a value for high. So that's what we talk about mental acuity. Um, and as I say, of course, lastly, so we talk about live a larger life and being physically active forever. Do you think that's valuable, right? And then it's really hard, like the rules of law and democracy, it's really hard to look at those on the board and go, yeah, that's stupid. That piece of shit. We need to change those. <laughs> we need to change those values, right? Um, you know, exercising every day, you know? <laughs> that yeah, was I mean, helpful though. Uh, for your points you made, that was helpful because um, that does help me and also coaches, um, you know, think about the values determination process 
And when a client comes in front of you and you're like, you're crazy, <laughs> you're basically saying that you want to be a drunkard, right? Gluttonous and a drunkard. And, uh, and I, can't, I can't stand for that. So what's the rule of law, right? What's the rule of law for us to get behind some form of what is valuable in this process? Um, because if it's just like left, left open, it's like, well, that's what you determine to be valuable, then you honestly, as a coach, have to push everything towards that. You got to exercise so that you can burn off the alcoholic cal calories. That's reality for a ton of people, right? So if you don't pick on that, like point to your point, Aristotle's framework of that, let's keep asking the why is based upon that. You know, you won't get at the bottom. That's like, you know what? My day needs a new setup just on the alcoholic point for people in the evening time. Right. Uh, my day needs a new setup. Um, I'm way too stressed at the end of the day and no one ever gave me an alternative to calm down. No one ever offered me that alcohol was always the alternative for it. You know, um, to my point of the people that end up drinking a, a bottle of wine or half bottle of wine every night at supper, and they're just like, oh, it's just what we do. We're cosmopolitan. <laughs> it's like, no, you're a drunk. Yeah. You are an alcoholic. And, uh, and you don't go to that point with a ton of people. <laughs> I have, but not to a ton of people. Um, instead, it's like, you know, wh what are we getting from that? And it's a wind down. So it's like, you know what? Uh, Marvin Gaye and taking up dancing can, can help you wind down. You know? Um, I've never given that as a recommendation, by the way, but um, <laughs> it's quite possible, you know, like dancing with your loved one and getting intimate after supper with Marvin Gaye on, man, you want to calm down and get real? Um, that's That could be another way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Marvin Gaye and, and, and slow dance. Yeah. Slow dancing. Sway into the music. That wasn't even Marvin Gaye, but uh, let's sell that as a group program. Uh, heroic and true coach. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming, Coach RX. Yeah, Coach RX, right? So I have a few thoughts there. So uh, yeah, I mean, so much to say and so much good stuff in there. Uh, one, I would so I like the way you were talking about like what what things do we find valuable together, like the coach and the client, because it you know we'll probably need to do more work to flesh out like what exactly the coach needs to say. And again, it's this spectrum. Like one end of the spectrum would be like my values are the only values that matter, and like you know, you, the client just need to listen to them. And then the other side would just be whatever the client says, whether it's, you know, Fran every day or what have you, that's what, as long as they're not harming anyone else, I'm in a program for them. Um, but I, I, I do think uh, that idea comes from a couple different places that I think sometimes people struggle with. Uh, one is, you know, in a modern democratic society, I think we all kind of have this like um, embedded notion of like, Hey, do what makes you happy as long as you're not harming anyone else, which from a legal perspective, I'm going to, yeah, I'll, I'll put my, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm fully on board with that and don't disagree one single bit with that. Uh, as long as, you know, you're not infringing upon anyone else's Liberty and you're not harming anyone else. 
but that's entirely compatible with the notion of talking about values being layered on top of that or you know better and worse ways to live so just because we say in one realm legally you should be able to pursue things as you so choose and we shouldn't subject you to prosecution or criminal charges does not mean that there aren't better or worse values i think another place that comes from the hesitancy on our own part and also coaches part just generally is you know, we know as a practical matter, people don't do very well with being told what to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like, you know, if you tell them, Hey, this is really stupid. Yeah. Uh, they're going to be like, okay, screw you. I'm going to go do something else. So yeah. it has to be kind of this dance of like, Oh, well, Hey, why do you need to drink a bottle of wine a night? And I've had some people be really good and self-reflective about the reasons behind that. And I've had others where it's like, no, we need to dig deeper. You, you, you think this is, you know, like you were saying, it's, um, cosmopolitan. cosmopolitan. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, so I, I, I do think it's important to realize that even though, you know, we want to be able to respect other people's options and, and opinions from a legal perspective, and we want to practically do the best we can to not turn them off, we do have a responsibility as coaches to get to the bottom of these things because ultimately if they say, I want this, but they really want that. And you didn't realize this, they, they thought this was a means to that, but it's not, then, you know, it's just going to knock on a good direction. And that that's not even just from like a coaching financial perspective. That's just from like a human perspective. That's yeah. just from like, what, yeah. what do you do as a human interacting with another human perspective? Yeah. And there's so, there's so much work to go around, right? You, you forgot about the one, the classic one, which is like, well, who are you to dissent against this idea that, uh, you know, there's so many fat people out there today. There's so many fat, you know, we are so diseased, you know, who are you to say anything about someone just moving, just get, just doing something, James. It's like your comment of your friends eating pizza on a Thursday night, right? That That's the classic one that's thrown into us, right? You're, you're, so basically what you're going to do is you're going to, you're going to overcorrect and push people to hating exercise, you know, with your attitudes around saying that, you know, this should be the way, and this should be valuable to you, you know, consistency and not eating like shit and not being over fat, right? It's like, Oh, well, just a second now, just a second. So uh, what you're saying in there is that there is this some value inside these pieces of consistency and you knowing how to do this for a period of time to be mentally acute and to like have this, this bigger thing. Um, and uh, so that, that's one that commonly comes up, right? People are like, you're just going to, just going to turn people off, you know? So anyways, let's just get on with it. Right. And anything that they're doing is good enough. I say F that I say F that. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm always, that doesn't mean that I'm going to stop at that because sure. I mean, they're, they're, you know, it's more than nothing, but anyways, I don't need to go into that. You know how I feel about that. It's more than nothing, but doesn't mean make it right. You know, um, especially if we using Aristotle, we use this idea of what lasts over a period of time. Cause guess what happens to those people, right? They're not there two years later. Right. Or they're not there honestly 12 weeks later. Right. Um, so is the utility in that idea? No, it's not. So, you know, pull it back and don't be afraid to ask those questions and, um, and try, try to get at that. I also thought, you know, the, the, uh, the, the big trouble that, uh, you know, is in place here. It's not, we've discussed it before, but there's no, there's no, uh, well, I'll discuss it later in fitness coaching value perhaps, but you know, it's not, a, it's not a well accepted thing that 
you and I, Robbie, have this uh, open space uh, for people to come in and to us to act as role models and authority, well-intentioned authority figures on what people should have as value for their fitness and health, right? Like, and so if you don't have that, let's just say what it is, where it's, what's reality. We don't have that, right? Anyone could be a trainer at any age with any competency, right? That's the reality. Then therefore, how do you get a host of people to stand up as a group and say, these are our rules of what we think is valuable. So instead, what do you get inside? Let's just, let's just <laughs> let anyone do it. Let's not challenge notions on what is valuable, you know, and what is value inside that process. That's the, that's the strike, you know, striking reality of that. When we, when we get, you know, trying to figure out um, what is valuable for someone um, inside. Anyhow, um, I appreciate the, uh, uh, I appreciate the perspectives on it because it makes me think on, in my position, I'm trying to help coaches um, develop the tools to ask those questions, right? I'm trying to, trying to build up their ability to not allow the client to leave, right? and have to repeat that stuff over and over. So I got to teach them how to sniff it out. I got to teach them how to like figure out what is true to them for value. I got to teach them how to, how to do this back and forth dance when someone's like, no, 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 just let me get on with this because I'm moving and it's good. Right. You know, it's like, no, no, we have to come to some, we agreement on what we think is valuable. Right. Um, and I'm currently at the point in time, which I'll also talk about down the road as to, you know, what, what can we pursue as fitness coaches? I'm just injecting these ideas in, in coaches' heads. You know, I'm just like sticking it in their head and I'm saying, you know what, this may not make any sense to you right now, <laughs> but in years and years down the road, you fake it till you make it, it'll, it'll come back to help, you know? Um, and I'm just being honest with that too. It's not like I'm teaching them and they're like, bing, everyone's becoming woke to the concept of fitness based upon that, right? It's a hard proposition. Um, anyhow, that was very helpful, Robbie. Thank you for that. No, same. I, I very much enjoyed the conversation. Two, two other things I was thinking of there that I, I thought would be worth mentioning. One is, we've discussed this in previous episodes, but this, this notion of a, it will always be a struggle. So long as humans are humans, so long as we have the dispositions and desires that we do, and we've talked about also in the past how it's feasible in the next hundred years that human nature could change through whatever medium, genetic or um, technological or what have you. But as long as humans are humans, people will always want whatever the equivalent of Instagram followers is at that time. Do you know what I mean? So like part of the job as either a philosopher or a coach is to, you know, the same way Aristotle was 2000 years ago with teaching people about morality. People 2000 years ago wanted money, power, fame, all the rest of these things. They had the same temptations. So these temptations will always exist. And it's part of the role as a coach or philosopher to try to um, help others navigate these values and find out what's what's truly meaningful, not, not just the surface level stuff, distinguish between appearance and reality. And the second point there is 
Um, you know, there can be debates back and forth about what, whether Aristotle was right here or not, but when he ultimately made the argument for eudaimonia or happiness um, as, you know, the ultimate thing worth pursuing compared to, say, money, power, or fame, um, it's this notion of, and there's much more to say, so unless there's philosophers listening, I, I know there's more, but uh, it's this notion of deep fulfillment, intrinsic value, not, not, not fleeting, you need more and you need more and you need more. Like you always need more Instagram followers. You always need more money. You always need more power. You always need more fame, but there's something about those things, whether it's autonomy, truth or virtue or happiness that when, when you have them, they are um, ends in themselves. They are intrinsically fulfilling. They, they don't, you know, just like with addictive food, they don't further deplete you and want you, you know, make you want to pursue um, more junk and go further down a rabbit hole. So that, that, that notion of something being an intrinsic endpoint that doesn't, you know, further take you down the rabbit hole of like addiction or more Instagram followers, I think is a important point. Yes. Agreed. Is it possible that that search for money, fame, power, uh, you know, could, could have been just a, uh, a way that people went about trying to find meaning? It could be. And I mean, I, I personally find that interesting. I mean, you know, we, we act as if, you know, and I, I, I'll throw myself in there just a few minutes ago. We act as if this has been all time, but of course, culture and, you know, civilization and the written word and all that stuff, that's 10,000 years old, roughly, but there's a long period of history before that. We don't have recorded history of what humans were like back then. Mm -hmm. Were they? as money hungry, power hungry, fame hungry? Was it just a product of, you know, as Jared Diamond and others have argued, civilization corrupting? You know, I'm I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, But I do know that it's the very same humans that eventually developed this stuff and like pursued it. So so, something was there. I think at least some part of it was, uh, was there, but um, so that's the historical question. But yeah, in terms of meaning, I I, I do. I I think, you know, meaning is hard. Autonomy is hard. Truth is hard. Virtue is hard. Money, power, fame, whatever else they are. Not that they can't be hard, but they're, they're quicker. Mm-hmm. They're easier and they, they, they seem like meaning and, and therefore they yeah. are. No, they always have hedonism and pleasure seeking attached to them. Um, but I, I just, I don't know. I just see a number of, as an example, the, uh, I call them like a t- Tony Robin, 3.0s, right? There's like a million of them out there now, you know, uh, on, on Instagram, you know, one is a, one is a CEO or an app. Another is a, you know, a financial institution behind the desk and they got the video camera talking about their life. They live in the house and the family church on Sunday, you know, it's like hustling. How do you, how do you get through this thing? Hustling. The whole background is trying to build money, fame, and power, right? That's the whole, that's the whole thing. So no one ever sat down and talked about, but what they, what they present it with is that you need to get out there because you'll find meaning in these things, the five F's, right? Family, fitness, finances, fuckery, and something else. I don't know whatever the F's are, but they're just, it's nonstop promoting of those F's, right? I don't know why they're F's. God, we need to change the word fitness. So it can't be interjected inside of that Uh, physical expression. P-H-Y-S-I-C-A-L, physical expression, uh, phys X. Dude, we just changed it. Oh my gosh, that's mind-blowing. 
right? It's not gonna be called phys ed anymore. It's called phys ex, but Elon it's got sex in there. So the kids will make fun of that all the time. Maybe they'll like it more. Close together. Let's has BE, a big E, right? And then you can't kind of differentiate. Anyways, the, uh, I, just, I just see a lot of that today. And that's why I asked the question, whenever there was an Instagram, because I slightly disagree with your point on like what's available to the current time for people going after these things. But then as you laid it, it was like, yeah, that was always there. It was just in a different way of going about doing it. Um, but I also, also want to be careful that I'm not biased and thinking that everyone that went towards money, fame, and power had these intentions that were not for, for good value, right? They, they may have had what you and I would consider from an outside looking in a really meaningful life. By, by trying to go through those mediums, right? A really meaningful life that caused no harm to others. You know, um, that because, you know, maybe power put them in a position where they could move things around. Maybe, the, you know, power got them in a position where, you know, I just heard a crazy story around Zuckerberg giving 75 million to a hospital in San Francisco, uh, which by the way, <laughs> it was a funny story, but, you know, like, Maybe a power position can be philanthropic over time. And if they didn't get to that power position, how could they do? So I'm just trying to just trying to make right. sure that I'm not erring on the side of uh, going after those things that could be a valuable. And, and then really, Robbie, just asking the question, is it possible that people just found meaning inside of that? Um, because there's nothing else really exciting to do besides going about that. And last point, on, just because I'll forget about it, is that that's why I, I try to use language of my children on, you know, even setting the seeds for this, for how to find meaning, you know? Um, so, so it doesn't, cause if there's any population right now, it's 10 to 14 year old young girls that are being preyed upon daily from 35 different areas in terms of uh, money, sex, and that leading to power, um, you know, nonstop proliferation of that. Um, I keep asking them to, to think about the word experiences, right? Like you want to, you want to find meaning in experiences. Now, of course I have to language it so Chloe and Hannah can understand, but meaning in experiences that lead to resilience, right? So go after experiences, not these, like all these things to this that is fleeting, right? And, and is not true, right? So the example is like, oh, the YouTube star, Oh, they, cause they have all these likes, dad. It's like, what happens? Do you think everyone gets a million likes? Like, Oh, not really. Then, you know, what would be, you know, those 865,000 users that only have like five likes, like what's their purpose in going after that? And then now Chloe's like, that's an interesting question. So what should I get out of this? And then I'm like, it's just a cool experience. It's an experience, right? Like you try to be creative and this is what you do. And that's what you learn from it but it should lead to you being more resilient, right? If you try to figure out down the road, you know, you take a knock. Oh, no, I learned about that because I had multiple experiences. Sorry for length, lengthening that out, but I had to mention it on the back end of what I do day to day to try to help with that. How can we come up with some form of meaning if, if uh, you know, uh, fame and, and sex and money and power is so big, so part of the lexicon, you know, um, then... You know, how do we do that? No, it's a good point. I mean, I'm just, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I'm sitting here with my, uh, my Lamborghini. Did you ever <laughs> see that YouTube commercial? It was like ubiquitous for like, uh, 
a year or two, like speaking of the Tony Robbins 3.0. Yeah, just sitting here with my Lamborghini in my garage. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so I have, I have a few. The, but the real ones where you got you got the tiger across the, the top of the car, right? Like Mike Tyson did. Like that was real shit. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, this is the greatest thing around the Internet is that um, even within fitness, I won't call out any names, but uh, one guy in fitness who's been like changing his his superhero outfit over the past uh, 12 years or so and reinventing himself and taking money from people and just changing up businesses uh, so people can figure out who are in the know. Um, and he took a picture with the McLaren here locally. Um, and then on the internet, though, you know, everyone knows that that's not your car and whose car that is. Yeah, so that was an interesting thing that came back to hunt that individual. It wasn't actually their car based upon that. But anyways, the truth inside that one with the car picture is you got to have a tiger across the hood. And that's showing that that's your shit. When that's your tiger and that's your Lamborghini, I actually would want to take a look at those photos. Those are kind of interesting. Sheep whatever, whoever that is. Tell me that fitness program. My McLaren, if there's some bicep curls I can do to get there. <laughs> to get that thing. Oh yeah. I pass by before you get to your point. I pass by uh, uh, a McLaren shop every day on the way home. Really? Every day. I see, I see five or six of those multicolored versions and the odd time, if I'm lucky enough, every couple of weeks, one of them gets taken out for a spin right at the time I'm on my way home. So I get to see that car enter the freeway. Next level. Oh, I'm sure it's next level. It's beautiful. There's something else. Yeah. Um, No, but I think you made a lot of good points. I I, two things I was thinking of. One was, um, you know, to get back to the idea of well, you know, money and power and fame can all lead to good things. This gets back to Kant's point and Aristotle's point and, and a lot of other philosophers' points, which is those things are not you know, lest we go in the opposite direction, those things themselves aren't intrinsically bad either the same way they're not intrinsically good. Um, but but where the issue does come up is when they are seen as the ultimate end, when money is seen as the ultimate end or power is seen as the ultimate end. So yeah. there are a lot of people for whom um, money is the ultimate end, uh, but there's a gigantic difference between that and someone who does it for the ultimate purpose of being philanthropic or something like that. So so long as they don't do something immoral along the way. Uh, and then to your point of why are people pursuing these things, uh, meaning is obviously a very important concept, but you know something I've become increasingly interested over the past uh, few years and um, uh, just just find really interesting is uh, you know the notion of responses to trauma and, and not necessarily capital T trauma, but yep. you know, could be lowercase t like um, you know, someone's mom didn't pay attention to them or they were, you know, bullied in school or th- things like that. And then uh meaning becomes no one's laughing at me anymore, mm-hmm. or someone's paying attention to me. Mm-hmm. And very often when those are the motivations you see, you see very, you see incredible things accomplished. I mean, when you hear some, you know, the stories of people who have accomplished what we would extrinsically value as big things, they've gone through something like that. But then there's this deep, like, wound that led to these, well, this, this will bring meaning finally. Mm-hmm. I won't be alone anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, things like that. I, I forget the name of the, did you read about the, the Zappos founder? No. I'll have to send you the article, but yeah, he, he basically, 
Probably uh, on how I built this, the NPR show too, on Zappos. What's that? How I built this. It's a sh it's a podcast on NPR. They, they cover these background stories of all these owners of these groups. I'm sure it's on there. So thank you. I'll send me the article, but I'll also search for it on there. Yeah, he unfortunately passed away a couple of months ago in a in a fire in um, his home. But basically, you know, the the story was about how you know he he was kind of a amazing you know star business person and wrote about how business can lead to happiness and all these different things. And then you learn about all these different things that happened earlier in his life. And then towards the end of his life, he started associating with, you know, the wrong kind of actors and, and things like that. But it, 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 it goes back to this notion of like a lot of times when you have these situations where people are pursuing money or power or fame, there's some deep seated, like, um, you know, my, my dad left when we were young, things like that, that are profoundly motivating in a lot of ways, but can also lead to trying to find meaning in, in the wrong things. Yes. Yeah. So, so those are some things I thought of there. Yeah, for sure. Um, lots in that one. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not going to apologize that I brought it up, but that's the first thing I thought about that it could be, you know, people can find meaning out of, uh, out of a lot of things, you know, right. um, and, uh, you know, who's the judge to use your language of, if it causes no one else harm, um, I think I think that needs to be stretched out too. You know, like we talked about previously of uh, um, when that when that uh, teacher starts teaching children, you know, um, uh, I forget what the context was, member, but they were they Literally. believed in over fatness, yeah, um, and they believed in gluttony, and uh, they believed in uh, they didn't believe in daily physical expression. Um, and they didn't believe that you should have broccoli at least twice a week. You know what I'm saying? Like, and if that's their, they're stepping up to the mic with my children, that's where it's, you know, that's where it gets into this, uh, that weird area, you know? Yeah. So, and ch children is one where we were talking about in the case of Liberty children's one. Yeah. Where, Liberty. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's a bit more um, on board, but yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, you said you wanted to talk about facts uh, versus values, so I figured we could chat about that a bit. Yeah. Um, I'll just check in for a second. You doing okay on time? Yeah, yeah, I'm great. Cool. So I think it was one of our first episodes where we talked about this distinction, famous in philosophy, uh, between descriptive statements and normative statements, and facts versus values is, is, is very similar. It's not exactly coextensive, but it's, it's mm -hmm. pretty similar. So facts would be descriptions of what is the case about the world. So let's just take uh, two examples from our world. So uh, CrossFit is mixed modal, high intensity, functional fitness. That's what, that's what CrossFit is, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Matthew Frazier is uh, five times CrossFit games winner. That's just the, both of those are facts. Now a value is going to be a judgment as to the worth of something uh, evaluation, if you will. That's where we get into questions about is mixed modal, high intensity, functional fitness, good or bad? Um, what is the value of competing in the CrossFit games? You know what I mean? Th things, things of that nature. And um, so another way to think about this, although newspapers are becoming sadly increasingly uh, less common, especially the paper versions, but it used to be the case that you would get paper versions and uh there would be lots and lots and lots and lots of news articles. 
in the first, you know, 20 or so pages. And then there was this thing called op-ed, which meant opposite editorial. And then the editorial section where people would give evaluations about what was occurring um, in the news. And that's a somewhat helpful way for people to get this notion of um, facts versus values. So part of the breakdown that has happened in today's society is that these notions have become blended to the point where you get these epistemic bubbles and, you know, I forget who said it. Um, actually, probably multiple people said it in the Trump administration, but that's the wrong set of facts or, you know, mm -hmm. th things, things to that nature. And um, there's the famous quote, you're entitled to your opinions, but not to your facts. So mm -hmm. um, being able to agree on facts, which intrinsically have no value one way or the other, and then, you know, distinguish between the value that you would impose on those. And then an interesting question for us is how do facts impact values, if at all? So a, a famous one that we've been discussing in the fitness and nutrition realm is fact. Human have these, humans have these metabolic pathways. Mm -hmm. Fact. Humans ate a certain way for all of their evolutionary history. How does that then impact what we think of as what is a good practice in fitness? How does that impact what do we think of as a good practice in nutrition? So it's an interesting question how those two um, bear on one another. So yeah, thoughts there. Yeah, I um, <clears throat> as you're uh, thanks that we thank you that we're we're going to touch on that a little bit today. I uh, and as you were mentioning it, I can't you know I think we may you may have to help me clarify you know where that fits in. I think your last point just did that, but where that fits into this whole fitness questioning, um, and and you, I guess you did answer that is that. Um, a fact in fitness is, you know, as an example, the metabolic pathway. And then uh, what would be what would be a value that's somewhat next to that if we're going to make the statement facts versus values? So how would how would we put that into fitness? Um, uh, value meaning, you know, glycolytic training is the be all end all. Is that that what that's what a valuable state value statement is versus what a fact statement is like glycolytic training exists? We have the ability to possibly do it at one point in our life, you know, or we have the metabolic scenario to use lactate as a fuel source, et cetera. And then value is it's good to burn fat. Is that the. Yeah, that would be an example or saying it's, it's the only or the best pathway. Okay. Okay. Uh, something like that. And then, but that, that, that value statement that admits of being true or false, right. We yes. can have pushback against that. Right. Uh, just because someone has asserted that doesn't mean anything and you know the, the counterpoint if we're using the kind of crossfit opex type thing it'd be well uh you know it, it seems as if the you know cp and oxidative system lead to more um sustainable developments long term don't cause as much metabolic you know dysregulation uh things like that historically we weren't really utilizing the glycolytic pathway for you know the same way it's being used in CrossFit today, things of that nature. And that that's really where the debate would, you know, come in there. And then also related to that, you know, to your question, and I think we've discussed this in the past, we always have to say better for what? Mm -hmm. Better for what? Are we, you know, that's, that's sometimes where things get confused. If we're talking best to get to the CrossFit games and then when, you know, whatever the prize is these days versus best for health and longevity. So we have to have an antecedent goal value in there to which we are indexing 
how this fact relates to yes. the value judgment we're making. Yeah, yep. that's that's really helpful. I uh, and as we mentioned on the lengthy pre-call that we had um, over the past uh, decade or so, I've been spending a lot of time here in the context of morality um, and the determination of morality and where that comes from. And with your help in this practice, but also previous, you know, up to previous times, up to our relationship, the, uh, the, the truth, you know, or sorry, I shouldn't say the truth, the facts versus values um, component of how we develop morality as, as humans um, has been a very, I just wanted to make mentions, been a very interesting um, journey for me uh, to kind of learn about and figure where, how we came into determining as a human race, what is good amongst all of us and how do we agree upon that? And where did that come from, you know? Uh, and did Homo sapiens wait for, you know, some books to be written on how what we think should be the way that we go about determining right or wrong? Or have we done that from way back in time just because we recognized through, um, you know, um, experience that uh, tribalism and communities and working together leads to possible, you know, sexual reproduction and correct mating practices and little groups and nurturing and self-care and whatever. It's like, ah, this, you, know, you should get along. Cause if you don't, that fucking guy is going to punch you in the face. Oh, that's one rule. Okay. Um, and then you just figure it out over time, you know? Um, and then how, you know, did it just come to be? That is the that's the written word and then how it's spliced off into multiple different versions of what that morality comes from. So I just wanted to make mention of that, that if anyone is, uh, wants to just use that as a baseline, you know, a framework and then put morality inside of that. Um, it's a lengthy, but well, it's a, it's a great journey. Um, so, so I just wanted to make mention of something that I've been on for, for a good period of time. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a super interesting discussion of, you know, was morality initially just purely of instrumental value to keep groups together? Uh, and then how do we get to these notions of intrinsic value? You don't you don't do it because like it's going to keep the group together because it makes society better, but because it's the right thing to do. Yes. You know what I mean, like, how do, how do we get to um, yeah. how do we get to those uh, notions? So and the other the other interesting thing is facts are about what is. Yeah. Values are typically, awesome. it's not always what should be, but in the morality case, it usually is about what should be. Um, so it's almost a contrary to fact thing. So like mm -hmm. you're experiencing this thing, like other people are killing each other and you're saying, hmm, mm -hmm. no, that, that mm -hmm. should not be the case. So you get this weird or interesting layer upon reality of like, here's what I'm viewing, but that that should not be the case. And like, where does that come from? Is it just, yeah. You know, um, yeah. Yeah, so it's a it's a very interesting discussion. Um, the other it, thing I think it isn't more so for today, right? It is more so for today. Um, I would I would interject personally saying I think it's a very important thing for people to uh, be learning about as a young age. And if you're not, you probably want to uh, just have a non biased approach to digging in more on that um, because I think it leads to a better understanding of a framework as to how you not you alone but how you and your family and your community are going to make decisions, uh, you know, really important decisions. And that, you know, at least one time, you know, uh, a more non-secular version of it in larger percentages in society, they had that structure, whether you agreed or not, there was some like structure to it. And now that structure, um, you know, let's call it the uh, Judeo-Christian framework of structure for that 
is just being questioned a lot, right? It's got nothing to do with it being right or wrong, but it's, it's uh, you know, being questioned. So it is hard today. You got to come up with, you got a lot of impeding things, right? So, so I would say it's, it's important for people to keep doing that. Um, especially if give you some example, you're not a parent yet and you want to be a parent. Um, you're a young professional in fitness coaching in terms of interactions with people on their determining of their values and et cetera. Um, if you're an older, you know, individual like myself, or should say older than everyone else who's 46 years of age and younger, um, at this point in your life, whether you like it or not, you will start asking about those things because you're looking around and you're more awake and you just want to know, like, oh, I'm curious as to why we're doing all this, because I know whether what I believe or not, I got this finite material time and I want to like come to some some kind of realization of some of those questions that I've been asking, you know, um, and I think that'll help you go there um, if, you, if you spend some time in that area. Yeah, definitely. And I think an important point related to what you were saying is it's very hard to come up with a collective set of values around what we should be doing as a society if we don't agree on facts. Um, yeah. Because while facts don't uniquely determine what values we should adopt, they are, you know, again, there's this spectrum. The one end of the spectrum that's completely wrong is the idea that facts uniquely determine values. False. Um, the other end of the spectrum is facts have no impact upon values. Also false. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's somewhere in the middle, but at the very least, we can say that if we don't agree upon facts, it's going to be very hard to collectively suss out what values we should be pursuing. Yep. Yep. Um, I could, and if anyone's interested in, I'm sorry, I'll probably sing you down a wormhole. <laughs> That's an eventual shit show for you on YouTube because of the algorithm. But uh, uh, Sam Harrison, Jordan Peterson had this conversation three or four times that is uh, on YouTube. It's a great outside experience to just to see, because uh, each to your point, last point there, Robbie, each of these individuals, um, you know, Sam takes the position that facts can determine values and, and Jordan takes the position that values um, can determine some of this factual information or, you know, just the other way around, not as, not as, not as coherent as the facts first into values one, um, as well as, uh, um, Christopher Hitchens and damn it, I'll, I'll have to remember, but he did this, uh, he did this one in the early two thousands. Uh, I think this was rabbi, this rabbi from New York, and they went back and forth for two hours on that conversation, each very eloquently, both of them were gentlemen and very caring for one another and their thoughts, but it's a great outside perspective to listen in and, and just use the facts values conversation that you just mentioned as a great base support. Cause it's a, uh, it's a, I just find it super exciting to kind of think about those things. Cause it, uh, and every time to keep going with that, every time I, I get into those conversations or think about that myself, I come out a better person on the other end. They're just being short with what, what happens there. Um, just because I, keep recognizing, you know, the gratitude for having the ability to ask those tough questions and to try to figure out, you know, why I'm doing what I'm doing. So it's, uh, it generally will end up in a good place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I think for coaches and anyone in the health and fitness realm, this is important to just, just keep in the back of your mind that, you know, again, facts do not uniquely determine values otherwise everyone would agree on everything um but they absolutely do have a role to play in order to have these discussions around what we should deem good or right or just we need to agree on 
some yeah. basic facts. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about intrinsic versus extrinsic value, and then that will yeah. uh, lead us into the fitness stuff, which we've talked about a bit already. But mm-hmm. um, probably the most, one of the most relevant and important pieces to this conversation is this notion of intrinsic versus extrinsic value, which we've talked about a little bit already. But the idea here is that we can all recognize that some things are only good insofar as they lead to other things. And the idea here is uh, we would call these things um, having extrinsic worth or extrinsic value or instrumental good. So money's table, money, tables, computers, houses, usually, but not always, these are things or objects. So not always, but usually they are. Uh, and the idea is that they cease to have value, generally speaking, when they are no longer of use. So uh, a table has value insofar as it can hold things up. If it has a leg that's missing, it can no longer function as a table unless you fix it. Or a BlackBerry phone. What's that? Or a BlackBerry. <laughs> right? Yeah. Man. <laughs> or, a, or, a, or a phone with a really long cord. <laughs> That was that's like only, that's only twenty years ago. Yeah, not not even. I mean, I man, I'm like a gigantic Apple head, and uh, it was yeah, 2007 was the iPhone, and people thought BlackBerry was going to crush them, and they were the lead in the market, and yeah, just no one even knows what a BlackBerry is anymore. Yeah, but yeah, I just um, aged myself. But also, uh, I was just thinking, if an alien was just listening into your comment, I'm such an Apple head. The aliens now going like. What, is he, what does he mean by that when he says Applehead? I'm trying to get this better understanding of this human interaction with these fitness coaches. <laughs> and a Blackberry. Is he talking about the fruit that has all those antioxidants? Is that what he's discussing there? No? And then you do a research and it's like, no, apparently it was a phone that had a little ball and all these punch cards. <laughs> he's like, oh, interesting. Aha, Robbie, that was a good one. Okay, back to the podcast. Hey, with all these declassified uh, things coming out and all these pictures of different things, you know, aliens may be doing that right now. That's with the right. Podcast. That's right. We'll never, never know. know. We'll never know. Um, but the idea here is, look, if we if we grant that certain things only have value insofar as they lead to other things, that presumably analytically contains within it the notion that there is some other final thing to which, you know, has ultimate value. Now, there are some people who would argue, well, it just ultimately goes in a circle and everything just leads to everything else, but that kind of has a number of objections to it. But uh, the the far more prominent view is that um, there's some final end at which things aim. So the contrast to extrinsic value, value that only comes from going to things outside of itself, is intrinsic value. And typically, these are things like people or virtues. So Kant famously argues that people are intrinsically value in virtue of their integrity and dignity and autonomy. Um, And then there are certain virtues that are worth pursuing like uh, justice and truth and beauty. For Kant famously, you know, if you wanted to sum up the vast majority of Kant's moral philosophy, the central moral sin is to treat a rational being, which uh, in this case, we're talking about a person. Although interestingly, Kant did believe that extraterrestrial life probably existed and he included them among the moral beings insofar as they were probably rational, according to him. Mm -hmm. But 
the central moral sin is to treat a rational being which has intrinsic value as merely a means to an end. So imagine you're at the grocery store checking out and your checkout clerk has a heart attack and you're like, get me a new checkout clerk. So using a person as a object, that's, that's the central moral sin or seeing someone, uh, you know, a drug dealer using someone merely as a means to them getting more money. Um, so that, that's, the, that's the notion there. And of course, when we're talking about fitness and health, you know, you've probably, I know you, you've almost certainly had this discussion. I know I have. Weight loss is a means to an end. Weight loss is like money. Mm-hmm. Weight loss has no value whatsoever in and of itself. Mm-hmm. It's solely a means to more energy, better sleep, um, you know, more happiness in the sense of like, if someone ties aesthetics to self-worth, which is something else you can question, but it literally has no value in and of itself. It is only valuable insofar as it leads to these other things. So um, lifting 600 pounds has no value in and of itself insofar, you know, except insofar as it leads to, I guess, maybe social acceptance or whatever it is you, you value. So that, that's really where this all comes in for the health and fitness crowd is, a lot of things that we think are worth pursuing, like Instagram followers or weight loss or, you know, deadlifting such and such amount, we have to tie it back to what are you ultimately pursuing? Yeah. And I have down here, it's, it's definitely in like, there is, yeah, it definitely is in the eye of the beholder as to what they determine to be intrinsic values. Correct. That's the interesting, like how they, how they see, like how they, how they see it. Yeah, just because I, I took down your point uh, of humans um, and, and, the, and the virtues of that uh, air, uh, food, those are those have value as well, correct? Yes, yeah, they have value. Yeah, um, I just have down that it, it, the, the eye of the beholder can help determine the value. Um, that's what I had down. So who, who says what is intrinsic value or is there like a is that well defined i think it's an excellent question and again i think there are you know there are things to be said for either side but i think there there are some basic things we can agree on so i think as coaches and people discussing this it's absolutely true that for certain people different things can have different relative worth so for example whenever i talk to people about making meals i talk about how there are 10 different values that can go into that cost, convenience, health, performance, taste, you know, family, social, all the rest of that stuff. And for me, you know, if we had a one to 10 scale for each of those, I assign a particular amount of value to each one of those. And someone else might assign different values to different, uh, you know, to different things within there. And then from there, as a coach, you have to help that person based on what they prize most highly. But that being said, so that that's the subjective element. That's the, yes, there are certain things that can be prized more individual by an individual, but then there's the objective question about whether that is a right way to value things or not. And I don't care who you are. If you think money is an intrinsic value or weight loss is an intrinsic value, that is wrong. That is objectively wrong. Quite literally, they like demonstrably it, it, it can't be an intrinsic value because it, it, it's only valuable insofar as it leads to something else. So there has to be that balance of like, obviously the relative worth or weight that 
someone attaches to something, but also this, like, this is just a slip of paper. <laughs> this yeah. does not have value. Yeah. Um, what is this leading towards? So it, it has to have that objective pushback component too. Good. Good. Uh, sorry. Good. That that's great language. So thought that it leads to something else. Um, Cause I, I uh, thought about how in fitness um, we, we have a really hard time of pushing the autonomy thing, right? Because we, we uh, use this word, well, we use anyways in CCP, this concept of void, like there's a void that's presented. Um, and therefore that may, that may help you understand what is valuable. And this is where, again, I got stuck previously on the money thing. Well, it's, it's individual because money can be, you know, a placeholder to your point that leads to something that's more effective, like buying broccoli and purchasing a gym membership and home equipment during COVID, you know what I'm saying? So it's a, it's actually helping build upon something. Therefore, at that point in time, money is of significant value. And they found out that that was the value, Robbie, because it became a significant void, right? It was a void in their life or in their existence that they, they seemingly needed to fill. And they came up with a recognition that that was a value because it was like a punch in the face. Holy shit. There's this void, right? Now that's only proposed after you lengthen up the conversation as to what we all agree upon as being valuable. But anyways, that's, that's really helpful that it's going to, you know, it's going to have some length to it. Right. And if you, if you stretch it out, that'll determine its value. I like that. Yeah. And, and to your point, when we say it has significant value to someone, we need to clarify dot, 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 significant extrinsic value. Yeah. So yeah. Like, you know, it, it only insofar as it's, it's leading to something else. Um, the other thing to say there with regard to um, the intrinsic extrinsic thing, or it, it, an interesting question that we can ask that goes back to your original question about like, what do we say about competing values or how people, you know, perceive these things. There's an interesting debate within philosophy about are the true values one? Is it just like good or happiness or pleasure? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or are they many? Are there many things? Different views, but let's just assume for the sake of what we're discussing right now, let's just say many like autonomy and truth and virtue, different competing ones. Mm -hmm. In fitness, a really interesting one that I'm looking forward to discussing with you either you know, uh, today or in our, in our next one as well in more detail, autonomy and community. Yep. You know, now we're not talking about things that are solely extrinsic values, things that I think anyone would grant are in one way or another important parts of being uh, a human. Mm -hmm. uh, now we need to ask, well, which one of these rules the roost? Is it just indexed to time and place and person? Yeah. Can we say things more universally? And, you know, what, you know, what do we, how, how do we uh, go about settling that one? Yeah. Yeah. I have a, well, I have a strong argument for autonomy ruling it, but um, I wrote down that they, they have to be, it's hard to make those really great virtues, the values proposed in fitness. I would think that we need to change the language on it and say, maybe there's no competition. Maybe they're complementary. Um, so it, I guess it depends upon how you're going to define in your example, community, right? So, cause I would say those both can coexist, but if we're really going to get down to the, you know, something interesting that probably you and I and six other people would be interested in what's the top, I'm, I'm going to argue autonomy is at the top of that based on how I'm defining autonomy. Cause you know, 
it shouldn't actually be, and this is not a point of inference to say that we need to change that language for the future, but remember it's, it's autonomy dot, 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 right? Because autonomy always people ever think is like, you're just off in a corner on a Versa climber alone, right? You know, Zen like atmosphere, but no. And then I say that there's a dot, dot, dot because it's mastery that you really are what we're saying we want to, to, be, to be a part of or to lead people towards. Mastery of self-care, mastery of self-awareness. You know, dare we say these big cliche terms like transcendence into this really aware state of what you need to do day to day to ensure you maintain resilience and keep good perception, et cetera, for the rest of your life. Because I would say that autonomy stops and it doesn't speak of how that should also lead you into teaching others and spreading that message amongst those around you of what you've learned, right? So that's where even by saying, is it autonomy or community, two things there. I would say they're complementary no matter what you add to it in virtues. But if you did want to play the game, I'm going to put up mastery as the top of that. And then I think it dissolves all other things. That's my opinion. Because that, because, you know, if I play that story out, so just be very simple about it, that person learns how to eat broccoli and do lunges and do their own program. And then years down the road, they're teaching their kids and they're also teaching those around them in their community. You see that? So now that's a, that's a community atmosphere, right? That ended up being that place through self-awareness. So it had to start with the self of awareness in order for you to affect others in that order, right? And so um, I'm not sure if you got some ideas that are different ones on that because you wrote down uh, autonomy versus community. And then you gave another example, which was a good one um, of, you know, different kinds of strength, right? Strength expression of absolute strength, correct? You said absolute strength versus speed or speed strength. And in that case, yeah, I think, I think it's, a, uh, it's a good debate to have but uh, that one, I simply go back to biases of, well, it depends upon what they can express. So their capability largely dictates what's, uh, what's of higher value. Um, and again, I would say, uh, if we're talking about someone, we had this conversation with coaches on OPEX call yesterday, that if someone is trained for 35 years, you know, speed, strength versus absolute speed is a good conversation to have in terms of competing, you know, things inside of fitness in order to promote, you know, longevity and the possibility of fast twitch fiber degradation or working against that, et cetera. Right. But if someone's 19 deconditioned over fat and doesn't know fitness, what is the highest value? There's absolutely no doubt that absolute strength, you know, just wins 99 to one. Uh, I don't even know how, what that means, but it is just, so it's dependent upon what you're capable of expressing that largely dictates those two competing components. And I'm just saying, I'm just interested if you have any other competing values we want to lay on the table and play with, because it's a good practice. Yeah. I mean, it, no, I mean, I think those are great points and I, I have some points on each. So one with the absolute strength versus absolute speed, uh, or, you know, let's say absolute strength versus just uh, aerobic capacity. Like those are going to push, you know, maximal version of one is going to push and pull on the other ultimately yes. like, in pursuing yes. one. So really my point in bringing those up was more just to, you know, bring up the discussion of 
when we talk about these competing values, does it really just come down to the contextual question of who are we talking about and what are their goals? Or are there some more absolutes that um, go across humanity in, in, in general? And I think at least what we're saying on the absolute strength and speed or aerobic capacity side of things is very much of a piece with what OPEX generally says, which is context is king. It's just, who's the person? What's the goal? What are we trying to do? <laughs> you know, being the fastest doesn't make any difference unless you want to be the fastest. You know, being the strongest doesn't matter unless that's your sport that you're you're in. Now, the autonomy versus community one, that, that's an interesting one. I think the points you made are good and that that's very much of a piece with any philosophical discussion, which is to say, um, you know, just because I set it up as a dichotomy doesn't mean it's actually a dichotomy. It could just seem to be a dichotomy. Yeah. Um, I do, yeah, I mean, I do think these two ultimately push and pull on each other. And I do think no matter which side of the coin you take, there is, there are trade-offs to be made. Um, you know, the, uh, the community side is going to get a bit more of the fun, social, what have you, um, perhaps motivational aspect, but it's going to be at the cost of the best, you know, training program for that person and their particular situation. And then the autonomy side is going to be the flip side. It's going to have a lot more of that, um, you know, best training for the person teaching them self-reliance, um, and then it's an interesting question when social interaction comes into the, the yeah. puzzle there. One, one question I, I, I do think- I, We'll I go back and this. forth on that one in, in disagreement forever, but it's, a good, it's, it's good to know where each of our starting point comes from for, it's how you see community and how you see autonomy and how I see autonomy and how I see community. That's basically, that's basically it. Yeah, and I mean, let's, let's be clear here. I mean, I'm <laughs> like- conceptually I'm, I'm very much on you know the the side of the uh, autonomy piece just kind of uh wondering in, in the other direction is there yeah. an argument to be made there but yeah, one thing crazy. i one thing I, I do wonder about that um has been coming up recently that you know perhaps we'll do an episode on or further discussions on have you ever heard of uh, gretchen rubin yes she wrote a book called the four tendencies um, i haven't read the book but i uh subscribed to her podcast and uh, got notice notice of her through a 10% happier uh, podcast and she was on there as a guest and then I got her newsletter and yeah, got some good stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've only heard about her through various things and I, I haven't read the book in full. I've, I've read articles about it, but one of the interesting pieces that I thought is relevant to our, our discussion here is, you know, she has this uh, classification of some people are, upholders and obligers and rebels and blah, 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 blah. But the, the essential headline was in her experience, and we of course need to scientifically and metaphysically ask, is this a case of humanity? I would venture to say probably. Uh, most people are such that they tend to do better in whatever goal they're trying to do if someone else is holding them accountable. Now, if that's true, which Again, it needs to answer to science and, you know, it, empirically, is that actually true? But if that's true, that, that does raise interesting questions. Like if, if, that's, if that's the case where ultimately at the end of the day, you know, the minority of people are such that they can actually hold themselves accountable to stuff that they sent, set to themselves versus those who are, have something set 
as their goal by someone else, you know, what bearing does that have on the model of coaching? Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, that's kind of what I think of in the realm of the autonomy versus community piece. I don't know if you have Yeah. Any. And I think, uh, I think people are capable of, uh, doing two times body weight deadlift and running for two hours. Um, you know, to, to use your point of what are universal things that we're capable of, that is you use the word in us. I think it's in us. I don't think people need to be held accountable. I think um, individuals like Gretchen or where she comes from and knowing her background, but I'm not going to classify her in that area. I would agree with you in the context of classification and archetype. Look at any religious model, Jungian, Jung, you know, background concepts. You know, those archetypes always have existed, right? Uh, read Four Temperaments. Um, you can go way back. <laughs> and uh, yeah, in, in uh, you know, general classifications and averages, they do exist. Um, but you got to always ask, what was the intention of the setup of those archetypes? And in most cases, it's to box people um, into a classification that makes them feel worthy, that they have these intrinsic values that are inside of them, and you're a unique person, and this is how you should operate in this world. And that's why I believe even the language of you need to be held accountable to create success in those things is classically, I'm very sensitive to this, so this could, I could be completely wrong, is a classic therapeutic paradigm conversation. It's a therapy concept, right? You, you have to be held accountable by other people in order to reach those specific things because we're all gonna work together and we can all help one another. And you, know, you can't by yourself do this. You, know, you can't just like be, come out of a womb and, and know that after you know, eight years in school, there's this uh, well-known knowledge that you can two times body weight deadlift and run for two hours straight. Like you actually can express these things, you know? But we wanna own the whole narrative of like, whoa, this is fucking really complex shit. Like, no, you need to be, we need to be paying money to a coach. You need to fucking go to the global gym and you need to be held accountable and all these behavior modification models in order to make it work. So I just back up and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Without leg presses even coming into existence in 1264, we, we did not know what we needed to do for physical expression to keep going. We just plowed the fields and fucking did with the cows and, and hunted animals and whatever. I don't know. Maybe we're just, what was happening in 1264? I don't know. You know, keeping people from killing your tribe, right? Like, but, but we were like, oh, we're, this is fitness. No, we were like, hmm, you know, what happens when we get a whole bunch of people together and we learn how to throw spears and fucking defend ourselves? Oh, interesting. We need to practice this more often. They didn't go, wow, I can really rotate with these angles of degrees. And you know what I'm saying? It's like the, the necessity that went into people doing physical expression has been embedded in us for a fucking long period of time, a long period of time. But now because leg presses exist, we're creating this whole story that people need to be accountable for good reason, for good reason. Why? Because a shit ton of people don't know they have that free physical sovereignty within them. They don't know that. So I would agree with her statement on it for today. A lot of people have to be held accountable, right? For today. But does it make it right? No, it doesn't. Therefore, it's not a truth. It's an opinion 
around what can be successful for people. Um, instead, I think, which is what my, <laughs> it's my life's work, by the way, <laughs> a simple little thing, uh, is to make more people aware of that. You have this ability. You should work out because you can and because it's for you. But you can says, doesn't say, because there is a coach available with groups who are all going to get together and do this. No, you, it's inside you. You have the ability to find, make decisions and have choices. And, and Jesus, there's YouTube, there's multiple books. There's a lot of this experience of the craziness that you could go, why be a part of that? Yeah, good question. Just, you know, walk every day and lift rocks and you can eventually get to this Universe, there's a lot in there, but the, you asked the question on the universal standards, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop one, right? Two times body weight deadlift and run for two hours at a steady state. I think humans are universally capable of this. Is there percentages in the 0.0 whatever that people can do that today? Yes, but that doesn't make that the reason why we shouldn't have that as a universal standard of expression. Right. And so you asked a very hard question indirectly in there and I've been going on too long. So I'll stop after this, but you know, do we take it one at a time, every individual, Oh, this is where you are. And this is what you could be capable of. Or do we just say, is there a universal standard we can say people can express and then let's just get on with it. Let's just fucking like, let's get past all that horseshit drama in the middle that we do with it. Right. Even including, including words like, behavior economics, which sidles up really closely to this accountability hypothesis, right, for exercise, which I just drives me insane, obviously. Um, and let's just say, like, that's what you're capable of. And so if someone's like, I will never do that, you can go, you're probably right. But it doesn't mean we're not going to make the attempt to strive towards it. Right? And all the things that work towards that, which you and I know are what? motor control activity, full body patterns, easy aerobic, like it's, it's the same, this is the same program, you know, it's the same program. Yeah. Archetypes. <laughs> am I archetypes? Am I right? <laughs> no, but I, I mean, in the office, I think that was in the office. I heard that. <laughs> Oh, so much in there. Uh, but if, like, I, no, if that, was, that was like a, a finishing point where if the camera went around the room in the office atmosphere, people would just be like, archetypes, hey? <laughs> what just happened? No, but I, 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 I mean, there was so much in there. I, 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 yeah. think, I, I think that really, you know, I've got a topic for us eventually called human nature and fitness. I, I think we, yeah. we've been dancing around this one, but it, it really gets to the central question of like, what things should individuals themselves be in control of and what things should, um, you know, be the role of a teacher or a coach or things like that, um, you know, does not, not necessarily Gretchen Rubens, but like, like, like you said, they're, they're, they're Jungian archetypes. There are all these different archetypes. Um, what's empirically the case? Is it empirically the case that humans are such that they can self-motivate themselves to 
deadlift two X body weight and run two hours at a time? Or is it such that they need a third party to get them to actually do this? That, that, that is an important uh, empirical question. Then that does bear on that fact value, you know, distinction. Yes. And I'm, I'm going to say yes and no, that's my, my opinion. I wrote down here based on your question in the, in the book, your existence brings about a chance at health. Your existence brings about a chance at health. It's up to you to achieve vitality. That's not fitness's responsibility. You, once you come out of the womb, you have the opportunity. You have the opportunity. And you can't tell me you need, well, I should say that. It's, you can't tell me that you need like, oh, no one told me about this. Like, <laughs> there's been a lot of stories, a lot of examples, right? We, and I mean, yeah, you are right. That comes into a really tough conversation on do people come out of the womb and have the accessibility to this information? My, my opinion is yes, right? They do. They do. Now, are we going to hum and haw over, you know, oppression of that information or they don't get the chance to see it or education or whatever? Okay, cool. But it, the fact remains that the, like I would say, the book has been written on that perfect program design for vitality for fucking thousands of years, thousands of years. Um, and of course you gotta stretch that out to describe it. But anyways, I think that uh, your, ex your actual existence brings about a chance at health just by you being, you come out of the womb, you got an opportunity for it. And I have much more to go on for that, obviously. But uh, like, you know, and I always tie it in, Robbie, for those who are interested just in that point of, I always tie it into biology, not downstream culture or sociology. That's where we get really effed up in that. I go back to biology. It's like, like we have these muscles, right? Like, <laughs> man, you, you, you know, we rotate upright, bipedal work, have the ability to actually throw something, you know, just imagine. <laughs> so it's like, they're there. You know, hamstring insertion points, right? They're not there for leg curls. No, they're there to go really long for long distance. Or if you go to really fast rate, it could increase your power. And ironically, as you activate off the ground, there's certain muscles up the chain that allow you to rotate even faster and other muscles turn off. Like this shit is embedded in us, right? So to say that, oh, we don't have... We don't have knowledge of the experience of it. I'm not, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to jump on that one, but uh, does, and I think this, and I'm going to keep going because I think this does tie into where, and I guess we'll get to it, but where do coaches come into, where do coaches fit in on proposing that today? Like, where do they fit on that? Right. So to the point, if you just think that people will figure it out for themselves and they have it embedded in them, what are we doing? You know, where do we come in? How do people get to your point of like competency and knowledge and education in order to figure those things out, right? Where does that come from? You know, and should yeah. there be humans that teach people that, but where I'm going to, where I'm going to caution is the, is how the accountability turns into dependency and a whole shit ton of mediocrity. That's what it turns into. And listen, it's been 20 years of that. So that's why I'm like really itchy on the, uh, on the accountability aspect. No, I totally get that. I mean, and I, I think, you know, this is something we can definitely discuss in, in more depth in the future, but I, I wonder about 
similar type things. Um, we have the ability to learn morality. We have the ability to learn math. We have the ability to learn language, mm. uh, not in the absence of being taught those things. Yeah. Uh, yes, it's partially uh, experience-based, like you would learn morality from your parents and your teacher and your culture. But ultimately, kind of like you've been pros- proposing in fitness, you come to a point where you can evaluate moral claims for yourself and go on to be a moral individual by yourself. Um, same thing with language and math. Now, you know, the obvious asymmetry between morality, language, and math and fitness, of course, is one between, for the most part, biology and culture. Yeah. Uh, although one can make an interesting one about morality, uh, you know, how far back that extends and, and where, where we go from there. But I, yeah. it, it's a similar type question. And in, in, in all cases, you need you aren't going to learn language, generally speaking, in the absence of being taught it. You aren't going to be learning math. And, you know, I mean, you'll, you'll learn some basic stuff, but same thing with morality. So there's that interesting question of like, where does the teaching come in? When does it cease? Um, but yeah, I, I, see, I see what you're saying. And obviously we're on the same page when it comes to dependency not being a good thing. So yeah, yeah. Um, and I will, I will segue into our points that are connected from that you said that uh within that conversation as to what you lined up what should be valuable in fitness what should we value in fitness i hope that's somehow connected i hope i didn't just take us off a stream of thinking uh, but i had it written down and i wanted to make mention because it does tie in a little bit of what we talked about um and i i stated that individual physical sovereignty or the knowledge of it um uh, autonomy uh, towards mastery, like self-programming and, uh, the, the knowledge of the way to autonomy is what we should value in fitness. That's what we should, we ought to value. So we look at outside looking in aliens are looking in they're like, what should we value in that thing over there? The whole process. Um, it should, everyone on board, everyone should be on board with this individual physical sovereignty. That's my, that's my opinion um towards you know self-programming and and uh uh wisdom wisdom of that self-care process um i think that's what should be what should not be (laughs) of value uh you softball that one up for me uh i would call it t-ball not softball because you actually laid it on the top of the the little stick that the ball lands on but um sex and body objectification from males and females on instagram that should not be valuable in fitness. Um, biohacking should not be valuable in fitness. That should not be of value in fitness. Um, science reviews, not science. We talked about that on a previous podcast. You can go back to another one. Science has a part to play, but the, where science uh, doesn't fit in today is the, the lab is not certainly helping us with the current issues that we have inside of fitness, right? So it's not value. Uh, sport idols, the performance paradigm of what I like to call it, that should not be of value in fitness today. Um, uh, dissent, tribalism, cults, cognitive dissonance, authoritarian figures, all in one grouping, uh, that should not be of value in fitness today. Ironically, it is because it, uh, there's a lot of sensationalism and populism inside of that, but it, it has very low value, low bearing on uh, outcomes, Uh, performance or therapy education, Uh, heavy one, Uh, but that, uh, that should not have value. And that's where I said another time, we may have to talk about nutrition and functional health nutrition value 
because uh, that, you know, that leans into that point there in terms of especially therapy. Um, and on top of that point, again, trendy diets, right? That that stray from what the planet gives us for resources based upon where we are locally and what our lineage says works really well for us for this defined aspect of living long and prospering with good mental acuity and good physical function and resilience. Um, you know, that, that doesn't have, that should not, we should not value that um, in fitness. Now, ironically, if you were to say, you know, take our biases away and step outside of this, and just come into fitness like you're just born into fitness as if you didn't know about what it was, <laughs> which is kind of funny. I should write a book just on that, like, uh, um, like uh, what was it, Stranger in a Strange Land with a re re recap, uh, another human coming in and just figuring out. Because uh, I could write chapters on how people perceive what people are up to with physical expression. It would be, my, it would be humorous in my mind anyways. Uh, it'd be two people buying the book, me and you. Um, but if you look at the list of that, what would I say, what should we not value body objectification, biohacking, uh, empirical science, right. Or nutritional epidemiology, just to get your hairs up on the back of your neck, uh, sport, the performance paradigm, uh, tribalism, uh, performance education, trendy diets, like that's fitness, that's fitness. And that is what is front and center in terms of what you know, the whole movement is saying what people should value. Um, and that's, uh, so that's my point on just those two. Uh, what should we value and what should we should not value? Because you asked, and I wanted to make sure we fit it into the value uh, podcast. So we should not value everything we currently value. <laughs> Touche. Value that which we don't value at all. <laughs> yes, let's do that. Got you. Got you. Uh, and um you asked the question on uh indirectly on rationality um values and rationality do you want to hit me up cue me up on that one or uh just kind of step into it yeah absolutely um yeah so and then that'll that'll tie into going into uh um fitness coaching value. Yeah. So this is one, I, I have to admit, I was kind of uh, like, you know, things we learn in our life. I'd say early on in my philosophy career, I'm, I was, you know, metaphorically speaking, smacked in the face with this one uh, in a philosophical conversation. Um, I'm just about the biggest non-fan of smoking and be around smokers and blah, 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 blah. But basically we were having this discussion around, is smoking inherently irrational and a uh, philosophical colleague hit me with the big one, which was no. And turns out that's right. That actually is right. Like if in, in now we'll need to talk about like what irrationality and rationality means. But if we are talking about rationality being uh, pursuing a particular end in the most effective way possible, then it all depends on what and you and are is, pursuing. Yeah. So it is not irrational to avoid exercise or eat unhealthy food. It yeah. is only irrational if your end goal or chosen value that you're trying to pursue is health or fitness. And interestingly for coaches, this is one of the ways I'll, as a practical front of the house matter, kind of ease people into things or make them feel not as like, you know, Robbie is saying this, it's like, it's all hypothetical imperatives. 
it's all, if you value this, you want to go to the CrossFit games, cool. Yeah. You want to, uh, you know, uh, reach a certain percent body fats, then, then macros and calories can be relevant. Uh, you want to avoid certain food antigens, then okay, let's talk about paleo. But it's all relative to a particular goal. There are no absolutes, uh, dot, 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 it, it depends on the, it depends on the context. Now yes. there's, more we, there's more we can say there, but, um, that that's, I'll, I'll tee it up there. Yeah. Well, it's, I'm, I'm just saying that it, it, it almost ironically goes back to our initial conversation on, you gotta, you gotta keep asking the why to get to the, to get them to recognize the means to the end of what they're proposing to be valuable in that process. I think that otherwise, as I said, you're just going to end up dancing with people. Um, if you don't actually do the Aristotle slap in the face, like there's no way you're making it to the games, <laughs> you know, you could be wrong, but <laughs> why, why not like start the process of like, Hey, indirectly, I shouldn't have hit you. Um, but let's at least figure out why you want to, what, you know, what led to you thinking you're going to get there? Um, how did this come about? What are your motivating things to add into your point, which maybe is another time, not sure we'll fit it in, but, um, because it's not in our lane, but it's a great conversation in terms of early childhood trauma, determining motivations based upon them being perceived as a better human because their participation in the journey towards going towards CrossFit Games. You know, it's like, whoa, just a second now. So who are you and I to go, you know, <laughs> that's like a world that rips apart, right? Because that's the reality for what makes up all their day-to-day -day actions is that. You know, and you just said, like, there's no worth in that. You know, that's indirectly what they got from that. So um, I think for those really heavy ones, it goes back to what we, you can go back to the early part of the podcast to listen to, which is uh, what you taught us here today is to you got to stretch that out like a philosopher and then ask the why about all those points and really elongate it. And then it'll allow you to, to arrive at, a, at some kind of rational idea as to what's working well for you. I think that's, that's, that's what will come up with, but I love the way that you uh, bolded at all. <laughs> I could tell it was so hard for you to write that, <laughs> but you were like, damn it. <laughs> I'm going to bold that uh, because it, your, your, your starting point was probably functional diagnostics and exercise. You were like the way, the way, the way. And then you're like, just a second now <laughs> depends upon what we decide is the end result right? What we decide is the end result. And Robbie, listen, I, I love that conversation. I could go all day on, you know, again, you know, taking the time and the, do we have the system set up to stretch out all those conversations instead of just going, nope, here's the absolute. This is the way. Here's the facts. You need to do 20 strict pull-ups. How many can you do? Two, forget it. You know what I mean? It's like, you, or so are you going to get excited to say that this is a five-year plan to get the 20 strict pull-ups? Or are you going to find someone else who's going to allow you to follow that plan, right? Back to your point. And uh, there's so much opportunity for that second option today of what I call fantasy opportunities um, that it's really hard to arrive at that, uh, uh, your act, you know, ability to go, why, 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 back, back, back to find some rationality to uh, what they're saying the proposed goals are. So, uh, yeah. I, I, I put down here as well. Fitness pursuit is not a rational process. <laughs> it, it used to be unconscious to survive and reproduce. Now it weighs against shitty foods and no exercise, no movement. 
So to be rational would depend upon a life goal. Again, I've just, I'm going to define an end of vitality, consistency, and mental acuity. If that's the end goal, then it's completely rational for you to partake in trying to come up with the knowledge that's necessary for you to be really good at self-care. Right. Yeah. But if you want to live fast, die young, leave a good looking corpse, then. I like that. <laughs> do whatever you want. But I, I think in connection with, with that, like, uh, you know, one place where coaches maybe stop on the evaluative spectrum of like no evaluation at all to like total, you know, these are the virtues you shall follow them is, you know, coaches will be like, okay, well, someone's told me they want to go to the CrossFit games or they want to run a marathon. And this person told me, well, they're using couch to 5k as their marathon programming. Okay. Well, that's obviously shitty programming. Let's do something else, but they won't always go to the, well, why do you want to run a marathon? Or why do you want to go to the CrossFit games? Like, where does that come from? Oh, because a marathon will help me lose weight. Oh, because the CrossFit games will make it so that I'm finally accepted by my parents or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and those are the, you know, again, we always have to balance the, the front of the, what we say front of the house versus back of the house, but the front of the house, you know, can be like, why, 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 as opposed to that's stupid and that's wrong. It can just be, have them do their own internal investigation. You're the midwife to that, so to speak. Uh, and then they're like, oh shit, I didn't realize uh, that that was not going to be the way to do it, but not just stopping at the evaluation of the programming, you know what I mean? Not just saying, well, if you want to get to a 500 pound back squat, then, you know, uh, the Bulgarian method is, is not going to be, you know, Here's your sheet. <laughs> um, you know, do something else, but also evaluating like, why do you want a 500 pound back squat? So, yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, I haven't found a really good way to create some satire around that conversation, but I will in the future. So you can look forward to that coming out somehow on uh, uh, Instagram through Brandon's help, I would assume. Um, you could just see me taking someone <laughs> through this humorous, you know, storyline of the, of the Excel sheet and the time by time process. Uh, that would be humorous. Uh, yeah, no, I, uh, I totally agree with that. Um, I want to finish up with uh, a question that you proposed just using the word of, of the day, uh, the Pee Wee Herman word of the day. I don't have a red chair to jump up and down on, but uh, fitness coaching value. Uh, you asked the question, is fitness coaching of value? Just so we don't have a doom and gloom to the entire uh, conversation on uh, us seemingly always seeing that there's this huge stretch between people getting aware enough <laughs> to understand these things that I seemingly think are so simple and around us, right? Um, uh, so I said, uh, coaching is currently valuable, currently valuable yeah. in these ways, air quotes, if podcast air quotes under currently, um, till schools adopt a fitness knowledge autonomy system for all young kids, we have a century of work to do. So that's, that's value right there because until we start teaching the youngins and changing a whole culture shift in what fitness autonomy is, we got lots of work, lots of work for fucking a hundred years. You know, you, anyways, you could, you could be very powerful and popular with lots of money for a long period of time. Uh, right now, if you do it right. Um, 
Number two, we're currently valuable because we have the knowledge of self-care that we could pass on to conscious, willing participants to spread the good news. We are the holders of that information. There's not a ton of people who have those ideas or concepts or a belief in that. <clears throat> Therefore, uh, you know, that knowledge can be passed on. It doesn't mean it's going to be passed on easily or it's going to be passed on and spread like wildfire, but it can be passed on. So that makes us valuable in the current time. Um, uh, it gives us something to do. <laughs> I mean, let's, you know, hey, we could be doing other things, but hey, it gives us something to do. That makes it valuable though. Like, I mean, it's, it's a vocation, it's labor, it's, uh, it's something to do. Um, we also can act as role models uh, for a disciplined, consistent lifestyle of physical expression, mental acuity and resilience. We can act as role models of that um, and take on that role. And this might bleed out. You know, you, your family might feel it, your loved ones, your, your extended family, those around you, folks watching you on social media, you know, they may, may sniff it and feel it. And it may just be like, that's virtuous, you know? Um, so that's, that makes us currently valuable because we can act as that disciplined role model. Um, and lastly, in some cases, um, fitness coaches are gatekeeper for good or bad information. So we can act as like we've done before, a skeptic or a pessimist. Um, in many, many cases, we're not, but uh, we can act as gatekeepers, right? Criticize bad information, know what's good, what's not, and kind of just be out there. So, but that, but that create like what you and I are doing, that creates value to the fitness zeitgeist. Uh, because we're at least asking those tougher questions. Um, so that I think that is where there's fitness coaching value. Um, and then I think that the what value should we try to instill in our fitness clients? Um, probably another time, because I think that's a lengthy, uh, that's a that's a lengthy episode of going back to your point, I think on coming down the road to talk about human nature and these possible embedded things and what we can use as beacons and to rehash what I talk about for those beacons of support for the values I'd love everyone to kind of be aware of, which is, uh, you know, a self-care thing towards physical uh, sovereignty and uh, mental acuity and, uh, and vitality. Any thoughts on that? All righty. No, I mean, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I figured, I, I figured as much with the, uh, I knew currently or dot, dot, dot for now was going to be a very prominent piece of the puzzle. Um, and that is, that is something I want to discuss further, but yeah, I mean, and then the fitness client question, that will be a question, of course, will there continue to be fitness clients long term? Yeah. yeah. This project is actually finished, but that's right. I agree that it's a, it's a very long project and I agree with those, the list of things that coaches can currently um, be helpful with. And then, you know, I, I think a question to discuss later down the line is, um, you know, like we were saying before, like what things are good and how good are they? Like, what kind of good is this in society? Do you know what I mean? Like what level of good? There's like scratching an itch and then there's like, you know, um, eudaimonia or, you know, um, 
my nirvana or something like that, you know, what I mean? like the, the pure, uh, purest, you know, happiness and enlightenment or something like that. Like how, how important is this role in society? And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think at least for the time being, just like, uh, teaching it's, it's a pretty important role. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I had that down as things that fitness coaches could, uh, um, could we, we could pursue and, uh, what coaches should pursue. Um, I've discussed that before in terms of the attributes I talk about for coaches, right? Uh, awareness, attentiveness, authenticity as the three A's, empathy, vulnerability, and trustworthiness. And then I give a credo, right? Of teach, learn, move, create every day. So that talks about pursuance of things for value of, of coaches. Um, and of interest, uh, maybe to uh, wet everyone's chops for the future. I think at some time we want to talk about that metaphorical hypothesis of what you just called wonderfully a project of moving, you know, dissolving the fitness universe and doing a metaphorical hypothesis of dissolving that. And what are we going to be doing then, you know, yeah. to answer that question, you know, um, and I quickly come to uh, recognizing that, you know, there'll always be things to do, <laughs> but um, I think being, being able to, uh, practice with, with others to tie in your autonomy community thing to practice physical expression with others as a day-to-day -day practice. And to make that a really virtuous part of someone's day, just like vocation is, um, I think might be something as a project down the road that can lead to a lot of really good things. Yeah. I mean, we could do our own, we mentioned in a previous episode, BF Skinner's Walden too. this kind yes. of, yes. I what, what he considered ideal scenario. And it's such a huge component of any philosophical project, whether it's political philosophy, like what is the ideal and how, how do we, how do we set that out? Cause then like, what are we even aiming towards? So I think, yeah, I think. Super. Okay. Well, I look forward to that. <clears throat> um, thank you for uh, proposing the start on this one. Do we have a, a partner with this that we'll get into next time? Well, I was initially thinking the couplet would be values and impacts. Um, I personally, I mean, you, you and I can discuss it. I personally think there's still probably more to say on values or we can come back to it, but uh, let's put it this way. If we think this is done for now, probably impact would be next. Yes. Uh, okay. There's more to say and we want to do a couplet there then we'll do second on values. So. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks for today, Robbie. Thank you.